special edition of Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. The mayor of Somerset, Kentucky, and Republican candidate for governor, Alan Keck, is here in studio. Flyover Country starts now. Attention passengers, we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff. And welcome to Flyover Country. Scott Jennings here. Jared Crawford is here. Joe Arnold is here. Kevin Grout is here. And one more person is here this morning, and it is the mayor of Somerset, Kentucky, Alan Keck, and a Republican candidate for governor. Alan, thanks for being in the studio with us. Yeah, thrilled to be here. Appreciate y'all having me up. Yeah, this is a, this is a big moment for us because uh, you're the first gubernatorial candidate we've had on the show, and uh, we put a ton of thought into it, as you'll find out shortly. <laughs> and uh, and we're and we're hoping you're a good sport. So no, but we're we're excited that you're here uh, because we want to have a conversation about why you're running, uh, about the nature of the of the race going on in Kentucky this year. There's only three gubernatorial campaigns in America, and yep. uh, and you're part of it. And uh, your candidacy to me has been one of the more intriguing candidacies uh, because. Um, uh, I'd say you're one of the, the lesser-known candidates, but I think from what I've heard from people, you've made a pretty good impression on, on the folks that you've spoken to out there, and I was impressed with your debate performance that you had on the Spectrum uh, debate the other night. So we're very glad to have this conversation with you, and I guess I just want to start with a simple question. Why are you running for governor? Yeah, it is it is a simple question and my favorite question, and it's because I think Kentucky is an incredible place, and it hasn't reached its potential. Uh, candidly, not in a long, long time. We have generational problems, uh, but I, that also lends itself then to generational opportunities, and I think we need a leader uh, who has the ability to get those things done. We did that in Somerset. Uh, it was sort of a hidden gem city that had that huge potential, and it wasn't It wasn't being leveraged properly. And so we built a great team, listened to the community, and accomplished a tremendous amount. Uh, I see Kentucky as a larger version of that, uh, a, a place that needs a change agent to get things done, and, and that's kind of the candidacy we're running. Common sense, do something type leader. You, you uh, mentioned Somerset. You were elected mayor there in 2018. Take us back to your, your runs for office and uh, and what it was like to win. Do you think that uh, running uh, a campaign like that has prepared you to win this campaign, but then also, you know, running a city like Somerset. Is it good preparation for being governor of Kentucky? I think it's the best prep. You know, I deal with things in Somerset that are almost identical to what you'll deal with as governor. Infrastructure, public safety, economic development, dealing with the legislative body, which, by the way, you know, when I ran in 2018, I think 10 of the 12 counselors voted against me. <laughs> and since then, though, they haven't stopped any any part of our vision. You know, we campaigned on changing the culture, record investment in first responders, uh, and then economic development centered around the downtown. And we got all that done at historic levels. And so I, I think that while it might not be a traditional pathway like statewide constitutional office, uh, it's the best prep because I'm the CEO of the city and we're applying for a job to be the CEO of the state. Joe for, Arnold. For, for folks who are not familiar with Pulaski County, with Somerset, uh, you've had an opportunity really to be a, an ambassador during your campaign here and introduce them to that concept. But tell us about the size of, of your city, the population, and how that compares then and how, how you think that can apply then to a statewide type of model. Yeah, I love that. And that's exactly how we viewed it. We talked about leaning into what made us special and telling our story, being an ambassador for Somerset, Pulaski County, Lake Cumberland. We're a city of 12,000. 
which is top 10% in Kentucky. Uh, we're a county of about 70, which is one of the larger counties. We're a daytime population of over 100,000. We're a regional hub in south central, southeastern Kentucky. Uh, we're a healthcare hub, manufacturing hub, shopping and retail hub. And so I understand what it's like to be a draw. Um, you know, it, it's a special place, but also Kentucky is a special place. It's a rural place. You know, outside of Louisville where we are today in Lexington, we're a rural state, 400-plus cities, 120 counties. And so in a lot of, a lot of ways, I think Somerset and Plaskett are emblematic of the state at large. And uh, leading at a local level, I think, is also critical because as governor, you better listen and understand what your local leaders uh, need and what they want, and we've lived that every day. I think this uh, issue of the rural – urban dynamic in Kentucky is really important. And I'm curious to know whether you think Andy Bashir has treated that correctly. Uh, I mean, I, I think I think one of the things that's hindered Kentucky over the years is just the, the push and pull between, you know, folks with an urban mindset uh, and folks with a rural mindset and, and not being able to get together uh, on on problem solving. How do you view that? What do you think about Andy Bashir's job, uh, you know, sort of job performance on that front? Outside of the, the tragedies, I'm going to say, I think it's been pretty poor. Uh, what I will say is I think he's done a good job uh, in those instances, the, the flooding, the tornadoes. You know, he does show up when a crisis hits. There's no question about it. And has handled those. He's been a good steward of those tragedies. Um, again, we don't hear from him a lot. We don't see him a lot. I don't think that the, if you look at his, his cabinet and the leadership, there's a disproportionate representation from the large areas. And – I'm not going to say he doesn't care, but typically, you know, what you care about, you spend a lot of time uh, focused on, and I, I don't think we've seen that from him. So how does how is that message resonating across Kentucky? The take taking Somerset and making it statewide. How, how, when you're out in the field, how does that go? People love it because they want the same thing in their hometown. <laughs> in fact, it's one of the reasons that got me into this race. You know, as we were leading Somerset and experiencing some of the success. We saw, you know, our strategy during COVID, which was a lot different. We, we led a coalition of mayors to reopen, talked about the heartland being different uh, than the larger cities and the urban cities, the coastal cities. And then the other thing is, is I would travel to, you know, KLC events, League of Cities events, or Kentucky Economic Development uh, events. People would say, gosh, Alan, how are you getting so much done in such short order in Somerset? I wish that was happening in my town. And so then I, I started thinking, well, what would Kentucky look like? If this was happening in 40 or 50 other cities, it'd be a different place, and we need it to be. Let me ask you a question about your experience outside of politics. You've had an interesting – are you the youngest candidate in this race, by the way? I think you might. Are you 38? I am, but, you know, I think Daniel's younger than me by a few months. Is he? Okay, yeah. so so we got two two candidates uh, uh, of the next generation of, uh, of Republican leaders. But your, uh, your candidacy and your experience outside of politics is interesting. You've been a businessman. You had a recycling mm -hmm. business. You have the Keck Sports Management uh, experience, which I want to hear about. We got some baseball fans yep. here, um, and uh, you've uh, um, you know you, you've got sort of both politics and business. Give us an idea of who Alan Keck is and was before he decided to to make politics a bigger part of his life. Yeah, I love business. I mean, I think that's one of the greatest parts of America is capitalism, the ability to change your life or someone else's each and every day. And so I'm a fourth-generation entrepreneur. My father was a businessman. He started that recycling company in 1984, long before recycling was cool or profitable, <laughs> by the way. Uh, I started Keck Sports Management as a green 23-year-old kind of naive idiot. Uh, my college roommate was an All-American catcher. Uh, I saw him get pursued by every big-name agent just about out there, and I thought, man – 
I think I could do that. You know, it's sports, it's competition, it's negotiation. Hopefully there's some money, and it's also helping young people chase a dream. I want to do that. So I go back to Somerset, graduate from Western, start working for Dad, doing sales, you know, buying and selling trash, essentially. And I loved it. But about six months later, I said, hey, Pop, I want you to do something for me. So what's that? And I said, well, I'm going to start a sports agency, and I need you to back it. I'm going to keep working for you. I'm going to grow your business, but I want to do that, too. He'd been bivocational his whole life. You know, he, he views working part-time as 12 hours a day, that kind of guy. And, uh, he said, well, how in the world do you do that? And I said, I have no idea, but I'm going to figure it out. So six months later, we launch, uh, end up with a couple Dominican clients in the uh, Detroit Tigers organization. Uh, both of my first two clients, actually, end up leaving me in AA for another Spanish-speaking agent, but both of them end up making it to the big leagues. Mm. And I thought, what are the odds? Because only 3 yeah. or 4% of minor leaguers make it. My third client, real long story I won't get into, but I met him through a mutual friend who was drafted but played at UK. Anyway, he ended up making it. Yeah, uh, in 2014, I had my first big leaguer. Six years after starting the business, can you say who it was? Yeah, sure, Daniel Robertson. Okay, uh, Daniel played outfield. He debuted with the Rangers. Uh, played in four organizations. Ended up getting played with some incredible guys, multiple Hall of Famers. Yeah. You know, King Felix, Albert Pujols, Mike Trout, uh, several others. And so I got to go on that ride. I got certified through the MLBPA. One of the youngest. I think I was 29 when I got certified. One of the youngest ever. And uh, have have had every, a guy in every draft since, except except one. And you know, look, so I'm, is the agent still still going now? Yeah, yeah. I had a big leaguer two years ago with the Astros. I I have to ask because uh, this will be the most important question. Stop it! <laughs> I know what you're going to do. And Joe <laughs> is extremely upset about the designated hitter. He's extremely upset about the pitch clock. He thinks that the governor of Kentucky should should do something to reverse the rules changes, the shift ban, all this. He, he really thinks this should be the principal plank of someone's platform. You like how he talks where, about <laughs> Where are you on the Major League Baseball rules changes, or, or are you agnostic? Well, I'm not agnostic about much. <laughs> Here's what I'm going to propose: is whether if I, if I lose this race, and then we're going to we're going to get a coalition. That we're going to start in this room, and we're going to go the George W. Bush model. And we're going to buy a team where we'll get a vote on these rule changes. Oh, that's great! We'll, we'll put a group together, and maybe we can do something about it. <laughs> Let the fans vote if nothing else. Well, yeah. well look, we had a governor who was Major League Baseball Happy commissioner. Chandler. Right. That's right. That's and right. Uh, and so I don't know. Maybe this... there, there is precedent for all. Of this. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe better yet, maybe I should win the race, and we'll buy a team after I'm done serving go. as there governor. Well, speaking of, of competitions, uh, and Scott mentioned the, uh, the the spectrum debate that you were a part of, and really, I will say that I, I think to, to most observers, I mean, that was you were one of the main storylines to emerge after that event, and it, it, it brings up basically what, what lane you're in here in this race. Um, obviously, I, most people who listen to this podcast are going to know the the, 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 the main contenders here, you have Daniel Cameron, the Attorney General. You have Kelly Kraft, the former U.N. Ambassador. Ryan Quarles, Agriculture Commissioner. Mike Harmon, the, the, the State Auditor. You know, and, and Mayor Alan Keck as part of this. I should mention a few others, I guess. I don't know if I should mention all of them, Scott, but, but that's, those are the main ones. No, we only have like an hour. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so where, what is your lane among – I mean, I don't know, I'm not going to ask you to you know, characterize each of them. But, but, but if you want to, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> How do you see yourself fitting in there, and why do you think uh, that, that, that you were the storyline coming out of that debate? Well, that's a lot to unpack, yes. so I'm going to do my best to sort of sift through that. The, the Lane thing is interesting. I, I read a lot of that post-debate coverage. Let me, let me, I'll give you my inside. You know, from, I walk out of the room, and I thought, yeah, I did okay. Yeah. And then I go downstairs, and there's a couple hundred people there, and uh, without calling other candidates out, there were a lot of people that were wearing other candidate stickers that were coming up and like, wow, that was pretty good. We didn't know that. So some of it, to be fair, was probably a low bar. You know, folks didn't know me. And so, that you know, it's easier to exceed expectations if they don't have very many. 
but the real takeaway was the refreshing part was less about what I said, I think, and how instead of how I said it. I didn't realize that authenticity would be so refreshing to folks. And I think there was some conversation that I was trying to create a path or maybe be a little bit more moderate. The truth is that I was just telling the truth. You know, I'm, I'm saying what I feel every day. But I, I've, I've said, too, and I suppose you probably shouldn't swear on these things, so I'm going to bleep it out. But, you know, you can be a truth teller without being a, a jerk. Yeah. And we've we've seen leaders, and you know, President Trump was this way. It might get you – Matt Bevan, who I supported. You know, it might get you elected once, but eventually if you're an a-hole – and I'm not saying that he is, but if it comes across <laughs> that way, if, if it comes across that way, people are going to get tired of it. Yeah. Right? And so we're going to try something different, which is being blunt, being candid – uh, but still treating people with, 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 with respect and dignity and fairness and kindness, even when they disagree. Whether whether we can accomplish that or not, I don't know, but I think that's what we showed that day. Uh, the last thing I'll sort of say, and then maybe I'll answer the yeah. Lane thing a little more, yeah, more yeah. specific, is you know, I'm not going to be just pull the ripcord Republican candidate. You know, I, I don't really believe in these broad brush things of, uh, well, that's not what you're supposed to say as a Republican. Well, that's garbage to me. I mean, we're allowed to think. And have our own opinions, and I don't want to be a cookie cutter candidate. If I think something's a good idea, then that, those ideas aren't going to have boundaries for me. Uh, I do think, though, you know, Daniel is some Daniel's a, a personal friend. You know, somebody that I respect tremendously. Uh, I have a friendly acquaintance with Ryan. You know, we're, we're kind. I don't know Kelly as well, uh, but obviously, incredibly well funded, huge network. Um, you won't find a better guy than Mike Harmon. That doesn't necessarily make you qualified to be governor, but he's an amazing person. And so, the, the difference with me is, I'm not a normal politician. I am radically authentic, and I'm an executive. You know, the one thing that none of those folks can point to is when they have built their own team, when they have led at a high level outside of government. Uh, I've done it in the private sector. You know, we grew a business. Our first year, dad's first year in sales, 3000 bucks. Not profit, by the way, sales. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we had 100 employees who do business in 20 states. You know, it's changed since then. I've stepped away. I'm not, I'm not involved in that recycling business anymore. So it's not that anymore. Uh, but at the time, we were doing business across America, selling product all over the world. Uh, you know, when you, when you sign the front of a paycheck and it's your payroll, the stress and the struggle of that's real. Uh, you know, when an, an, a, a crash like 09 happens and you feel that. And, you know, I had to lay a full shift off once. Mm. Terrible. You're telling somebody they don't get to go to work. Uh, that prepares you for what, and I took those skills. We put it in Somerset. Um, I know what God's blessed me in. I, I'm good at casting vision, encouraging power, bring people together. He also gave me a high level of self-awareness to know what I'm not good at and the humility to then surround myself with people who are, that's how we built an amazing team. That's what I would do in Kentucky. The question for me is with the rest of the field, you know, will Daniel be a good governor? I think there's a, there's a strong likelihood that he could be. We don't know yet because we haven't seen that fruit, but th I think that potential exists. Same could be said about Ryan. With me, I think folks know because there's proof in the pudding. They're, they know exactly what they're going to get. I think that's unique in this race. I'm probably responsible for some of the commentary uh, because of the column I wrote for the for the Career Journal. About I was grateful it. for it, by the way. Uh, <laughs> well, I couldn't tell because then you wrote a piece in the Lexington Herald Leader, and it seemed like you were mad about it. And then I, but then I reread it. And I thought, well, maybe he's not mad. But what I meant was. Uh, was that I just you struck a different tone? I didn't mean moderate in that I didn't, you're not a conservative. You're obviously a conservative guy, and uh, you have conservative views. But it was it was interesting to me that your tone and your disposition was a little bit more like what you were just describing here. Less confrontational. Not interested in being an a hole. Just yep. interested in being sort of a forthright, you know, uh, a person with with their opinions. And I'm I'm curious to know. Well, first of all, I, I agree with you. I think there are voters out there who are looking for that. I mean, look, let's be honest. These are the people who have voted Republican their whole life. They didn't vote for Trump. 
A lot of them turned away from Bevan. They live in the suburbs around Louisville and Lexington. Some of them live in northern Kentucky. Some of them live in Madison County. Some of them live in Warren County. You know, I mean, you can pick it out on the map. When you're out campaigning, are those the kinds of voters that you find are most attracted to what you're doing, or are you finding pockets of support across the spectrum? Oh, what, what a good what a good question! And by the way, no, I wasn't mad. I was actually really thankful. When you're when you're the guy that you know, I joke trying to come out of you know fifth or sixth place. I love all good press. Yeah, yeah. So no, I, I was grateful for your commentary. I think you know my thing is I wasn't. I, I've said I wasn't trying to be different. I think I just am a little different. And that's that sounds boisterous. It's just I think you know my observation of the field. Here's what I'll say, and it's hard to say this with humility. When I get in front of people and I share the cat game plan, uh, we're getting support from across the spectrum. You know, the the I, I wish I had more time. A lot of candidates in this race are winding it down. They're counting down the days. I wish I had six more months. Hmm. Uh, and it, it's a function of time and resources. I, I'm I'm not naive to the task at hand with the money that I'm up against as the guy that was trying to climb the mountain from, you know, the middle of nowhere, if you will. Although the 5th District's kind of important, Pulaski County – might have a top four voting county this this race, maybe top three if we yeah. turn out for their hometown guy. Um, yeah. And and so I think it's an interesting candidacy in that some of my positions might be a little bit more center-right or moderate. Although it's funny, you know, the things that made me moderate that night are probably equally aligned with Ron DeSantis, the darling of the Republican mm-hmm. Party right now. I mean, if you go to Florida, like – their policy on life is very much in line with mine. They're already a state that allows medical marijuana, and they've had gaming on, you know, on, on um, Indian reservations for a long time. And so these these policies aren't necessarily – it's just in, in a field where I think people are maybe a little hesitant to go off of mainstream Republican politics. It, it feels that way. The other thing, though, that's interesting, you know, we have a large liberty faction in this state, as you all know. Yeah. And I'm not as conservative as they would like, air quotes, for those listening. But on what <laughs> issue? Well, because guns aren't my top issue, maybe, or because... Um, is it is it really an issue, or is it just attitude? I, let me, can I tell you a story? I got booed in yeah. Northern Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> so the other thing that... And this is fun. This is my favorite part, just getting to talk shop and, and talk... So we go, we're in Boone County, and they asked about election integrity. Election integrity is critical. I mean, and, and no no one with half a mind is going to argue that, but they wanted me to acknowledge that the 19 election was stolen. Yeah. 20 was stolen, and, and then beyond. And so I just said, look, I'm... I know what you want me to say, but if you want me to sit up here and tell you that, that Matt Bevin won that race, when Daniel Cameron's right next to me and he won by over 100,000 votes, Allison Ball's in the crowd and she won by 130,000 votes, I'm not going to do it. And they boo. And I said, <laughs> well, look, at some point, candidate quality, and I, I raised money for Matt. I mean, I think as an, as an executive, he, he led at a really high level. Kentucky was on the right trajectory. But he made some missteps, you know, from what he said about teachers, how he said it, the bridge issue. And we all we don't have to relitigate that. But he lost by five thousand. My friends won by a hundred thousand. We had record wins in the in the House and the Senate. The election wasn't stolen. He just goofed. Yeah. And we have to be real about that. I, I made a commitment in this race too. I'm never going to pander. And if you pander once, you're, it's kind of if you compromise once, you compromise forever. If you pander once, you'll pander forever. And so I got booed three times that night. But I, I probably out of that seventy five in the room, I think I earned the respect of fifty who didn't boo. And they said, golly, this guy's reasonable. Jared, I know you have a question, but I have just one follow-up. You say you don't pander. Do you think other people in this race – I mean, you've been driving all over the state with them. Do you think other people in this race are pandering? Yes. And are you the most authentic person in this race? I think so. And I don't don't know that they even know it. It's hard not to. Uh, Candidates now can get so overly consulted. 
You know, they tell you what they take. Look, we take hey, easy, easy. <laughs> I've got one too. I'm just saying that's fair. And you got a good one. He's all right. Yeah. Well, th- there's a difference in being consulted and being over consulted, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I-, I think that you know, I go back to 2016. The two most popular people in America were Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders. Yeah. So radically different, but yet uniquely authentic in their own party. They believe everything they say. Now, it might be off the freaking Richter scales, <laughs> but they believed it. And I think, uh, you know, we're, try- we're trying that with some, some level of uh, civility and reasonability. Jared. So I, I want to go back a little bit to Joe's question about the kind of post-debate sure. reactions. And this is, this is all kind of intertwined because it's that sort of substance versus attitude, who's got the ideas versus who's kind of like just speaking my language. Uh, what are these issues that you've kind of, been at a crossroads with some other candidates is is on education. Uh, Ambassador Kraft has another ad out this week wanting to dismantle the Kentucky Department of Education, which I think it, some folks thought at the beginning might have been even just like a slip up, but now she's you know doubled down on uh, and and is you know part of her her platform. You helped bring a university to uh, Somerset, which is again kind of unique. Republicans have in many years become. Uh, if not anti-higher education, sort of leaning that way. I get a lot of crap on this show for for wanting more people to go to to college, and they say I support student loan forgiveness. Well, that's another conversation. But, um, <laughs> but education is one of these issues that you've differed a little bit than, than other candidates on. I wonder if you feel, again, that that is more of a sort of attitude versus policy, how real are some of those ideas versus how you see education in Kentucky or the future of education in Kentucky. Yeah, that that's a lot of good stuff. And I, I, again, I'm just going to be honest here. I think it was a slip up when she said it the first time. And then I think what happened, because if you look at the, the sort of the instant reaction, they backpedaled a little, and then they went all in. And now it's become a central theme of the, of the campaign talking point. And so I suspect, I mean, mm-hmm. listen, I don't know. I'm not in their camp. But I suspect they went back and said, well, you can't back up. Cat called you out on it. If you back up, you're going to look weak. You need to double down. You'd be strong on it. Republicans, they hate woke. They hate indoctrination. You know, we have people in the Honor General Assembly, when I talk about pre-K, they say, well, that's just another year for our kids to be indoctrinated. And I said, look, if, if, if our bar is so low for public education that that's your mindset, like, we're totally screwed. Um, you know, I have had a chance to spend some time with the ambassador one-on-one, and she was engaging, she was warm, very kind. And so, you know, again, I can't speak for her, but I, I think that this path that she's going down in education doesn't seem as authentic as the, the, the woman that I've had a chance to sit down with that I think was, was so compelling and, and again, engaging. Um, whether that's pandering or playing to the base, I, I don't know what that is. But for me, public education is foundational in America. You know, I'm a product of public school. So is my wife, my parents, my siblings. My three daughters go to public school. Some of that is to send a message. Look, I'm the mayor of Somerset, Kentucky. You know, I could send them to the Christian school, and it's a great school. But I want people to know that my kids go to Somerset Independent where I went, and I'm proud of that, and I want to raise the bar there. So as far as recent events and the current governor and how you would be different on education, the governor, when, when Andy Bashir became governor, re- replaced the, 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 uh, the board you know, uh, uh, statewide, and of course they hadn't hired Jason Glasses as the commissioner of education in, in Kentucky. What would you have done differently, and what will you do if you're elected? 
Well, we're certainly not going to continue to have Mr. Glass in charge. I mean, the one thing that Kelly says that I do agree with, when she says dismantle the Board of Education, that's a whole different animal than the Department of Education, which I don't even think constitutionally she has the authority to do, any governor has the authority to do. And so, um, you know, getting like-minded people who I think share our values is critical on that board. Uh, we want to make sure, and I've said this, that Kentucky values are taught in school, that some of these far-left things um, don't seep their way in or down, if you will. But Jefferson County has consistently had one of the worst public school systems in America. And so accountability has to be a huge component of this. Uh, I think that if you're going to raise pay, that some accountability standards come with that. We've talked about not teaching to the test. That's something else in education that's important. When I listen to teachers, these are the things that I hear. If you look at our game plan, we talk about student support personnel because now teachers are asked to do so much more than they ever were. They're dealing with mental health and behavioral challenges that they might not have used to. You know, if we're going to get teachers back in the classroom, student teaching should be a paid internship, not uh, otherwise. Um, you know, those are some of the, the practical things that I'm going to do and that, that I would like to do. Uh, we want to, I want to make sure that there are educators and some parents on that board, people that are living it every day like we are. Um, but I've experienced the good side of it, too. I mentioned my wife. You know, Tiffany went to Louisville Southern. Mm -hmm. um, a lower income section in, in Louisville, that's where she grew up. First generation college student, ended up getting a, a residency program at Vanderbilt, put herself through Vanderbilt, put herself through school, got a nursing job at Vanderbilt, now owns her own business. Uh, you know, I'm really proud of Tiffany for that. And I think there are st countless stories. Uh, the other thing I'll say, you know, what we say matters and how we, but how we say it, you know, when we talk about teachers as a party, if we constantly demonize public education, you think it's going to recruit more young people to want to be a part of it? Or are we going to continue to have a shortage? And so uh, she's not wrong. Ambassador's not wrong in that we need reform, we need changes. I, I agree with that. But probably similar to law enforcement, 99.8% of, of cops are, are great people that are serving with dignity and honor. And occasionally we see that bad actor. And I think that's largely the case in public education. Most of those people, the, kids, the, the, the men and women that are teaching my kids right now, care a lot. And they want to do well. And that doesn't mean everybody, but I think by and large that's the case. In addition to strengthening that public education system, what about school choice and empowering parents to you know, send their kids to their own the, the school of their own choosing? For sure. And people say, well, you can't believe in both. And I say, who says? Yeah. You know, I absolutely believe in school choice, and I, I can do that while also honoring the current people that we have uh, teaching our kids. I think competition is a good thing. Choice provides that. Kentucky's one of six states, I believe, without – uh, full school choice vouchers or, or, or charter schools. Uh, I believe in raising the bar. We Since COVID, a record number of people choosing private school and homeschooling. Uh, we need to make sure that the, the resources and access uh, get to them. And I, I have a pretty un interesting uh, model and path, too, on how we can set precedent for the dollars to follow them. That's the other thing. Like, politicians are terrible oftentimes at solving problems because when you solve problems, you piss people off. <laughs> You're always going to make somebody mad. Yeah, yeah. And you can't let sort of that, that be the enemy of progress. So my hope is that with pre-K, the Democrats aren't going to let us bankrupt. The, they wouldn't want us to, all these private preschools. So it's the, it's the first way to set precedent for money to follow the student because we're going to make sure those private preschools have to stay in existence while we grow the other access for, for kids. And at that point then, once that precedent's set, uh, last thing on that, it doesn't have to be either or. You know, there's this fight of like the whole dollar. Mm -hmm. What if 30 or 40 cents on the dollar follows the student? Because it's not a full dollar cost if they're not in the school system. Uh, what about letting homeschoolers into the classroom to use our chemistry labs or sports facilities and mm -hmm. off hours? You know, these are the types of things that if we're, if we're not so stinking stubborn, we can solve these problems and elevate the conversation and the, and the access for all Kentucky kids. When you're out moving around, 
Is education the issue that comes up most in your conversations with voters, or is it something else? No, it's it's not. It's something I'm passionate about because I think if we're looking at generational poverty, it's something that we won't even see the benefit. If, if I'm a two-term governor, we probably won't feel it, but we'll certainly feel mm-hmm. it 20 years from now. And so that's why a lot of leaders don't talk about it because they don't get credit. Mm-hmm. You know, that's another area where this governor, I think, ha- has been a little bit of a disaster. Uh, he doesn't do anything unless he's going to take full credit for it. Yeah. You know, this whole notion of sharing credit with humility and empowering your team, it seems lost on him. Uh, the issue I hear most about is workforce. You know, we're talking about it. I think it's my most creative policy uh, that we're talking about, sliding scale benefit reform. It's going to take work with the legislature, feds. Uh, but it has to happen. We've got 42% of Kentuckians not working. And we're not growing. So our population's down and the percentage of people working is down. And it's crippling. Uh, you're not going to be able to recruit companies here. We, we've had some. We've had some success. But I don't ever hear anybody talking about who in the heck is going to work there. And you go across Kentucky, there's a 1,000 jobs in my county alone that are unfilled. 162,000, I think, across the state. Our, our effective unemployment in Kentucky is zero. But we've got to do something to encourage these folks to get back to so work. So why aren't they working? Because they're getting paid to sit at home. I mean, if you make 12 bucks an hour, and I use this example a lot, it's not perfect. So for those listening, you know, this is not a math equation, but I think it's analogous. And it's really close. The net to stay home is 12 to 13 bucks an hour. Total package. That's about what you're getting. So let's call it 12 for easy math. Well, would you go work for 15? You're not going to work for 15. You're mm-hmm. going to work for net three. Mm-hmm. Well, what would it look like if you got to keep half of that 12, you're getting to sit at home, and all of a sudden you're making 21 an hour? That's life change. You know, instead of 24 grand, you're making 40 grand. Or thirty grand, you're making forty two thousand. Now the government saves six bucks an hour times however many millions of people. It, it's it's so simple, but no, you know we're, we're not doing it. I don't know why. Somerset has not been immune to um, the 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 opioid crisis mm-hmm. and and the and frankly and part of that for it really is is sort of this this sick uh, cycle of of folks getting their disability cards, basically registering or being eligible for that. And that's a lifetime then of subsistence, right? Yep. So is that, how do you get people out of that? There's two different things there. Here, I'm, I'm, I'm packing a lot there for you again. <laughs> but, there's, but there's two different issues there, but they, I think it fits right into workforce. It does. I'll tell you what breaks my heart is you'll travel places in Kentucky. And it is, you know, Scott, you mentioned rural urban earlier. I would say this is not just in rural Kentucky, but certainly in East Kentucky, we hear it probably at a disproportionate level. As kids, when they're asked what they want to be and grow up, that's why I just want to draw. Yeah, and you'll you'll see people. What do you mean draw? You want to be an artist? No, no, no. I want to I want to draw a check like mom and dad. Wow. It 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 crushes me to hear mm-hmm. that. And I just say we're better than that. You know, we're a proud state, but so much of our pride is is rooted in like old history. Mm-hmm. Kentucky hasn't really been a leader in much in generations. And we're in the bottom five in almost every important measurable. And I just don't see substantive discussion on solving these big generational problems. Healthcare outcomes. Lead American diabetes and cardiovascular issues. You know, where's Andy Bashir on that issue? We're, we're, we're bottom two or three in workforce. Where's he at on that issue? I mean, these are things that, might again, might not be sexy. You don't get to go cut a ribbon and get a big round of applause. But you want to you have real life change. Let's solve some of these problems. Specific to opioids, I think it's another issue that we talk a lot about the symptom and not the root. You know, why do people get on drugs? They don't do it when life's good. And, and their family's well, and they're going to church on Sunday, and they've got a, a job, and their kid's playing baseball. They get on drugs because they're desperate. They have despair. They don't have hope. They don't know what's next for them. They got, out of, they got out of jail, and nobody will hire them. You know, so we're trying to tackle some of those problems. We've done a lot of that in Somerset, by the way. I mean, we're training people in the jail now how to weld. Women, too. It's awesome. We've now found private sector employers that will hire them while they're still incarcerated. They get on a work release, but not to go make 25 cents mowing lawns. Some of that still happens, too, full disclosure. But one gal in particular, 
uh, is working at a, a large uh, manufacturer. She goes and welds every day. She doesn't get out of jail until 2024. She mm. will leave with $65,000 in the bank. Money for a down payment on a home, money to buy a car, so transportation's on issue, and an existing career path. Those are the types of things that if we want to get Kentucky out of the, the cellar and, and break this cycle of generational poverty and drug use, you know, we have to get creative and and build these alliances. Again, we've proven we can do that. I'd love to take it statewide. Let's talk a little bit about, by the way, this flyover country with Scott Jennings. We are interviewing today Alan Keck, the mayor of Somerset, Kentucky, Republican candidate for governor, and uh, we're grateful for you being in the studio with us. Jared Crawford's here. Joe Arnold, Kevin Grout, you're hearing his voice as well. Let's talk a little bit about the campaign and the way it's unfolded. Um, it's your first statewide campaign, and um, it's it's really been, uh, at least from an advertising perspective, an almost one-sided thing so far. Ambassador Kelly Craft has, has dominated the airwaves. Recently, uh, Daniel Cameron's super PAC has gone on the air with, a, with an ad about his support from Donald Trump. Looks like Daniel Cameron's campaign is going on the air with a limited TV buy this week touting his uh, faith and attacking Andy Bashir for closing uh, the churches uh, during COVID. But we haven't really seen Dieters uh, from Northern Kentucky has a few spots out there. You haven't advertised yet, although I do know you're doing some Facebook and some digital advertising that, that your campaign believes has been pretty effective. So I'm just going to ask you point blank. Are we going to see Alan Keck on television uh, as this campaign draws to a close, A, and B, uh, do you want to tell us what number you're going to file on your campaign finance report here in the next couple of days? Uh, great questions. I saw Daniel's ad this morning, uh, Faith ad. I thought it was a good ad. Uh, I, I like ads that accentuate our positives and talk about the things that, that you know, give folks a reason to vote for you. I, I saw it on the drive up this morning, thought it was a good ad. You'll see me on TV pending how you watch your TV. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of folks decide to watch it on HBO Max or Hulu or YouTube TV. That's where you'll see Alan Keck advertised. Uh, you know, we have to be a little different. I don't, I don't have the blanket of resources that others have, so we're going to be a little, uh, have to be a little bit more strategic, maybe be a better steward, if you will. Uh, that's my spin because I don't have the money they've got. <laughs> uh, so you probably won't see me on normal cable. Uh, minus some earned media because we're talking about stuff that really matters. You'll see some of that. Yep. Uh, I, I don't know exactly what we're going to file. It'll it'll look pretty similar to our first quarter. Uh, you know, we'll itch close to another couple hundred grand. Um, you know, there's some folks that believe in our message that hopefully we'll spend some money on our behalf. We'll see how that goes. Um, but you know, I think we're at a buck and a quarter, buck thirty so far, and there's still some more money to come before we file. I have to ask you: this is the lane question again, but in, in context, what you just said, it's a crowded field. Uh, and a, a lot of money out there. So I guess two things. One is, what do you think, what what portion of the vote does the nominee have to get here in that kind of a, of, of a contest? And how do you, I mean, just realistically speaking, because I, I know you're a fan of politics too. I right? love it, yeah. Yeah, so why did you get into this race when there was so much other money and, and the field was so crowded in the first place? You know, like a hopeless romantic, you think that you can do things even when everybody tells you it's impossible. I mean, look, I had I had people tell me to wait my turn and, uh, you know, talk about my runway. There's folks love talking about my runway because I'm a young guy. Oh, you can, give a good, <laughs> you can give a good speech, Mayor. You know, just sit tight. And I, I just didn't see – honestly, I thought exactly what's happened would happen and that it would be a, a race that there would be a lot of platitudes and typical Republican banter – and we wouldn't hit the issues that I think are going to move Kentucky forward. And I just said, at a minimum, we're going to drive this conversation. But in addition to that, nobody goes and gets a fight and thinks they're going to get their butt whooped. 
I mean, you at least think you got a puncher's chance. Yeah. And I thought I had a little better than a puncher's chance. I do come from the 5th District, Pulaski County again. Top five voting county for sure, maybe as high as third uh, if they show up. Uh, I think that, you know, we've been Republican in that area for a long time. And so if they'll support the, the regional guy, I'm the only candidate in the race from the 5th. Uh, also, you know, I was elected official of the year in Kentucky. You know, people say I'm not known, and I'm not. I don't I don't have their name ID, but 2,600 elected officials of cities. Uh, I was named elected official of the year out of those 2,600 in 2021. A lot of mayors have seen what we've done. A lot of law enforcement officials across the state have seen how we supported police when the world said to defund them. I doubled down at it over a million bucks to our police budget. And then finally, I think uh, people are, are drawn to a high level of authenticity, somebody that'll, mm-hmm. that'll present a vision and somebody with a business background. You know, we've seen that not just in Kentucky, but nationally, sort of that outsider. I, I don't think I finished my thought on Liberty candidates. I might not be quite as conservative as they'd like, but they sure like the fact that I'm a little bit of a maverick and maybe not an establishment politician. Mm-hmm. And so that broadens my lane a little bit. Last comment on that. You know, the field is big. I mean, we talk about 12 a lot, but it, I think as was mentioned, there's some, there's some good folks, by the way. I mean, we've got a guy, David Cooper, serve, serves our country in the National Guard, running for governor. Um, fine young man. You know, works swing shift, works hard, family guy. I've grown to really like David. Uh, I, I could say something nice about a couple of the other ones as, as well, but since we only have an hour, I won't. <laughs> uh, you know, but with that, I think you're, you're, you're probably going to see a, a high concentration with five of us. So I used to say 28% would definitely win it. I still think that number probably would, but I think if you got to 30, you'd sleep really well. Let me ask you a question about your future. Um, Obviously, you want to be the nominee, uh, but only one can win and everyone else is going to lose. In a world where Alan Keck doesn't become the Republican nominee, would you entertain being on someone's ticket? Uh, A and B, have you actually had any conversations with the other candidates about that? Yeah, I think you, you, out of respect for the position of lieutenant governor, I think you'd have to entertain it. Uh, I'm, I'm not one that, I mean, I like to drive. Yeah. I, I'm, uh, that, that's just my nature. But at the same time, I care more about Kentucky and its future than I do Alan Keck being the guy in charge. With that said, though, it, it'd probably be a pretty limited scope of the folks that are in the field that I would consider that with. I mean, the values are going to have to be equally aligned. I'd have to really believe in them. My role, I don't want to go be a wallflower. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'd love getting to be the mayor. You know, that's not really a plan B. I mean, it was what I sought to do to begin with. We've accomplished a lot. I have things that I want to get done if I end up going back, if you will, or continuing because mm-hmm. that's never stopped, by the way. I have a full-time job. Folks forget <laughs> that sometimes. Uh, you know, what I've said is I'll be a good steward wherever I get to serve. I haven't had a specific conversation with anybody about it. You know, there's a lot of rumors that, you know, that's already in place. I don't know where that stuff starts. There's a lot of rumors I'm running for Congress. I had a, I had a guy, he was running a down ticket race, and he's like, hey, man, I'm going to support you when you run for Congress. Like, well, that's cute because I'm not running. And he's like, yeah, 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 you are. I mean, no, really, I'm not. One, we have a congressman. Even if you're tired, I'm not doing that. And so – I, I, probably because of my youth, I, I'm flattered when folks ask. That's kind of them. I mean, I could be the guy that, that ran that kind of gets laughed at, and everybody's like, well, you know, go back to being mayor, buddy. Uh, so I, I take it as a compliment. Um, here, here's what I'm definitely going to do. If I lose on Wednesday, I'm going to go to the gym, and then I'm going <laughs> to walk through the doors of City Hall really proud to leave Somerset, lead Somerset. And from there, you know, we'll, we'll try to find some ways to impact, you know, the things that are in the game plan that I care about making sure that that conversation doesn't stop just because the primary did. Jared. So in Scott's scenario, you lose. I'll give you the scenario you win. How do you beat Andy Bashir? You've mentioned a lot of things today that he doesn't talk about workforce participation rates. He doesn't talk about a lot of these issues that you've brought up in this last half an hour. 
how does the Republican candidate beat Andy Bashir? Well, I like this conversation a lot better. <laughs> I, I, you know, it might not be as likely, but I like this one a lot. You know, we're going to beat him on a few things. One is, you know, the Kentucky values issues that he struggles on, on life, on, on the transgender issue, where he's been incredibly inconsistent. You know, we're talking about a, a governor who vetoed the transgender sports bill, which majority of Kentuckians vehemently disagree with. He just now v- vetoed, you know, 150. But it's the same governor that then when we're talking about juvenile uh, facilities, you know, he's quick to make a distinction between males and females to get females out of the jail. Which is it? And I'd love to be on a debate stage with him and ask him. I want to challenge him on, you know, why the team Kentucky governor won't share credit with the Republican legislature who paved a way for so much of the success. I mean, if he'd wrap his arms around half a dozen of those folks and say thanks, he might be unstoppable. I don't hear him bragging on Democrats. I mean, he'll tout Rocky out there a lot, but outside of that, who does he love on? On his team, who has he elevated as an equal or to say, you know what, thanks? for making this possible because you did something that I didn't. I think Kentuckians care about that. They want somebody who's strong but also going to be humble. Uh, and then I'm going to challenge him on the – you know, if we're 48th in fiscal or fiscal stability and Tennessee's third, why, Governor? What have you done to address that? Why are we 48th in workforce? Why are we 44th in American health care outcomes? And what's your plan? You know, are you just getting what's coming to you because of the, the past and, the, and the, the canvas that was painted before you? Or are you actually leading for the next generation or two? And it's something else, you know, real quick, you know, Commissioner Quarles talks a lot about 24 years of Bashir leadership and they're asking for four more and they've been in charge. And I'm like, look, Ryan was in the legislature for four of those years and he's been statewide for eight. Like, hell, you don't have to wait to be governor to lead. And so I I don't want to sit back. And if I I, I sure love the opportunity to make this case one-on-one with the governor. Let me um, ask you about the nature of Republican Party politics today, and maybe politics just in general. <clears throat> I think we used to think of, of chief executives, presidents and governors as uh, leaders of parties and, and sort of leading people in a certain direction. But in the populist uprising of the last few years, it strikes me that the most successful uh, politicians have been ones that have just been more directed by crowds. <clears throat> you know, Donald Trump you know, was not a Republican before he ran successfully to be the Republican nominee because I think he was the best person in the field at just holding up a mirror to the crowd and and being a reflection of their desires. Do you believe politicians and elected officials should be more reflective of their constituents, or do you think they should spend most of their time trying to lead their constituents to outcomes? Oh, what a fantastic question, and one that's I'd love to have a longer discussion on this, but I'm going to give you my snapshot answer. I think we should lead, and I think they should lead, because what what you don't see when you hold that mirror up is an actual representative picture. You just see the folks that are showing up to yell and scream. You know, I'll, I'll point back to my leadership during COVID. We had a lot of people, you know, yell, kick, and scream and say this is bad. But we had very few actually submit plans of how we were going to get our economy reopened in a safe way. And I'm proud of our efforts. You know, Governor DeSantis got a ton of credit, and he should. He led at a high level there. But his first reopening plan was May the 2nd. Mine was April the 20th. Mm-hmm. You know, we had 30 or 40 mayors come together, submit the plans to the governor, got ignored. They then used our plans and reopened pieces of the economy. I didn't care. I was just happy that businesses in my town weren't going bankrupt anymore, that people could go to the eye doctor and the dentist again. Uh, but I unequivocally think that the best leaders will shape the conversation and bring people with them. Uh, and, instead of, and when I said pander earlier, it's going to sound like an insult, but that's an element of it. Well, hey, this polls well. Like, look, China polls well. Yeah, of course CCP's bad. I mean, if somebody calls you and says, hey, do you want China buying up all your stuff? The answer is going to be no. Is fentanyl bad? Yes, it's terrible. But it doesn't mean that's all you talk about because there's all these other issues. And so I think that's where a good leader will make the, dis- the distinction. 
Speaking of um, outsized uh, presences in most Republican conversations, you've brought up Donald Trump's name once and is an illusion. You brought it up just now, Scott, but it has not dominated this conversation. Mm. Does Donald Trump, to what extent does Donald Trump factor into this primary race? Well, he's a candidate for president. He's a former president, and he's endorsed one of my opponents. So I, th- I think he's a factor. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd be I'd be sort of ignorant to say that he's not. I, I don't hear about it as much as you might think on, on the trail. Um, I personally am one that am ready to move on from the Donald Trump era. I've said that. Uh, I think that while a lot of his policies were really positive for our country, uh, there was some some cost to it. You know, I've, I've got three daughters. And when I think about a man or a woman that, that aspires to the greatest office in this country and government in the world, they should be somebody that your kiddos can look up to. And I, <laughs> that's, that's a long discussion for me, but some of the behavior and the actions are appalling. And we just had the big issue with Stormy Daniels, you know, right? And so, look, this, this indictment was, was crap. But it's, it's, it's baffling to me how quickly we've been as a society, as a party, as the values party, the Christian party, if you will. I mean, mm-hmm. d- Democrats can be Christian too. Let me, let me say that. <laughs> Obviously, there are many, I have many friends that are Democrats that are also Christians. But that we just completely ignore the fact that this guy's sleeping with a porn star and pays her off. And it's like, nobody, nobody cares. With a pregnant wife at home. It, it, so, <laughs> at the time. you know, when yeah. I say that it's, re- it's time for new generational leadership, now, in that same sentence, I'm a flawed person, imperfect person. No leader is going to have. Um, perfect background. Not saying that, but I, I I don't think it's too much to say that we should elect somebody with a strong true north and high moral compass. Safe to say, you have no NDAs currently under negotiation in New York. <laughs> it's incredibly <laughs> safe to say. Okay. Uh, you know what I have said publicly, and Dan- he's, he's quali- He said in New York. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> let's go through all the states. Yeah. Montana. <laughs> also, no. Uh, you know, Daniel and I had an interesting quib because you know Trump came up in one of our little uh, forums, and I've said, look, Donald Trump's not coming to save Kentucky. Neither is Ron DeSantis, and shame on any of us if we want him to. I'm sick of waiting for Washington to come and save us. I'm sick of the crumbs from D.C. to come and save Kentucky. And Daniel said after that, he said, well, he might not come to save Kentucky, but if he does come to Kentucky, he's coming for me. And I said, okay, yeah, you know, touche. But I, uh, I think that Kentucky has been far too dependent for a long time. When we talk about some of these challenges that we face, specifically in East Kentucky, why were they Republican to begin with? Well, because that's where the welfare started. They didn't want to vote themselves out of a check. And we've got to be a little bit more honest as Kentuckians about where we are. You know, as of last year, we were the worst investment in America. What do I mean by that? For every dollar we were sending to the feds, we were getting 250 back. Worst ratio in the country. We, we, by definition, have been the nanny state. Well, if that doesn't make you sick as a conservative, I don't know what will. And so, you know, what I say is I don't want to be beholden to them on national education policy because we want their stinking highway money. I want to do better and become fiscally stable here so we can tell them to pound dirt if we want to. You speak with um, some reverence, I can tell, about the office of president. Um, is there a, f- uh, a president from history, recent, you know, long ago, whatever, that, that you look up to, that you uh, model your leadership after, that you aspire to be like, or do you think is kind of the ideal person that we should look up to for that, for, you know, any kind of a, a political leader in this country? Yeah, you know, I've studied modern presidential history. I'm not one that, I've, obviously, I've read about all of them, but probably my focus uh, has been since the Second World War, and so I've looked at a lot of that. I think there's a lot of great irony in President Eisenhower as we, you know, the general president who also is the only one that really didn't experience war. Mm-hmm. I think there has to be something, a, a high level of reverence to that and the distinction that he had. I've studied, of all presidents, I've studied Reagan the most. I, I've probably read 
I'm not going to say everything, but most everything, including his eight years of diary, which is interesting. I think one of only three presidents to journal the, you know, throughout their presidency. Uh, and then I grew up, you know, the, the, the race that got me most interested in politics was, was Bush Gore. Mm-hmm. You know, I was 15 years old with the whole hanging chat issue, and uh, I was just enamored with it. And so I, I think that we've, we've had a lot of revisionist history on President Bush. I know you worked for him, and so yeah. I can imagine the esteem. I'd love to meet him someday, by the way. That, two, uh, that 2000 campaign, that was my first campaign. No kidding. Yeah, you were that was, 15 years old in 2000? Yeah, sorry. All right, go ahead. <laughs> Yeah. What was, was your five, what, what was your what, what what presidential campaign do you remember? Was it eighteen seventy six? Buchanan. Or? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> old old Go ahead, Mayor. Go ahead. No. Uh, you know, and then and then going on though, I think that and and again, I'm not I'm not scared to talk about things that you know normal Republican won't. I've studied Obama a lot. Mm-hmm. While I think he didn't govern at the level because he he became some of the things I was talking about earlier, where it's 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 hard to sort of fight off the the loudest voices in your own party. You know, if you go back and read like. Mid two thousands, Obama. I mean, we're talking about a guy who appeared to be reasonably moderate and innovator. Talked about wanting more engineers in this country than lawyers, and he was a lawyer. Uh, oh, at one time, Barack Obama was pro coal and against gay marriage. Yeah, he ran for president on again being against gay marriage. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean that wasn't that long ago. And he didn't have the strength to push back against the radical wing of his party, unfortunately. But you talk a brilliant campaigner, a visionary in some ways, and so I've studied him a lot. But I'd probably go Reagan one, Bush Bush two. Uh, you know, it, it's also. We, we look at the mistakes that, that Bush made, uh, but forgetting the lens that the guy was, you know, our country was attacked in his first year in office and the, the, the magnitude that that meant for us as a country. And I loved, I loved um, decision points because I felt like he was at least somewhat candid about, hey, I made the decision, here's why. You know, I didn't know what I know now then, and I appreciated that about him. So uh, the last thing I'll say about Reagan, here's what I loved about Reagan, is that he said things no different than Donald Trump that the media despised. I mean, here's the guy talking about, in, you know, ending communism and socialism and all these things and, and bringing radical change. He was laughed at in 76, then here he's running again. But they, they, they had trouble disliking him because he wasn't a jerk. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, I fashioned myself as, you know, I, I went on a podcast the other day, and it was they were, they were both liberals. And I think they left thinking, well, I didn't really like much of what Keck said, but it's kind of hard. To, I didn't really dislike him. He wasn't, he wasn't mean to us. And I appreciate that. And the last thing about Reagan that I loved, and I, I try to take this with me everywhere, is you know when he was getting criticized for negotiating with Gorbachev, he said, "Look, we'll get a lot more done when we talk to each other than about each other." And I think that is a tremendous leadership principle that is lost on almost every politician. Now they don't listen anymore. They think they're the smartest dang person in every room, and they have all the answers. And that's the farce. And so, uh, great question. Thanks for letting me answer. You mentioned workforce uh, as being one of the the key planks of your uh, of your platform. Uh, for, as far as the, the Keck game plan for, for growth, uh, you, you fast-forwarding, eliminating the income tax as, as part of that. I want to ask you about allowing communities to control their own destiny. What do you mean by that? Well, it's another area where, again, people are disingenuous about tax reform. How many times have you all heard somebody say, we need to be like Tennessee, right? Happens all yeah. the time. Well, Tennessee has local control. They can pass a local sales tax. So Nashville's Nashville not because of music. Yeah, sure, that's great. But in Louisville's Louisville, and look, we need a strong Louisville. I mean, Louisville's economy is as big as the next 15 cities in Kentucky combined. We have to have a strong and safe Louisville. We can come back to that. But 2% of the money that's, that's spent in Nashville stays in Nashville. It doesn't go back to the capital to be distributed out evenly amongst everybody. They're investing in their engines. Uh, but that's also a local decision, and I do support that. Uh, I think that— So local option sales tax? Yeah. But, you know, tip, the typical local option was— referred to as a tax on a specific project, you know, where you, 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 
you vote on that project, mm-hmm. you tax on it until it's paid off and that tax goes away, which is one pathway, which would be okay. Uh, but I'm talking about if we got rid of the income tax, I'm not for any new net increase in taxes. But assuming you get rid of the income tax, allowing us to, and constitutionally we can't right now. We tax the worker. We have occupational tax. Yeah. That's how most communities fund their budgets. But that that's punitive. You know, what I'm talking about is allowing people to keep more of what they earn and then be taxed on how they choose to spend it. I want to go around the horn in the time we have left here, Mayor, and um, we'll do like a quick question for you. And then when we close out, I'm just going to, so you start thinking about it now, I'm just going to let you make your pitch uh, about why you should be governor of Kentucky. Joe, one final question for Alan Kick. I guess which undecided voter or what is the what what uh, pot of or, or cash of undecided voters are you trying to target here? I mean, who are the people that you think you can reach out to? I'm going to say the folks that aren't as typically engaged, people that just want common sense government, somebody that's going to stay out of the way largely, but when they need them, they're going to be there. Uh, I, I hear from a lot of. Uh, working moms and mothers that that appreciate my my policies that um, might not be as fringy as some others. So I would say that's a group that if they hear me, they're going to come support me. Jared. Uh, Very quickly, an issue you just touched on, I think we wanted to try to get into, but public safety, especially here in Louisville, obviously on the top of minds of folks this week. Your thoughts on what I think is a major economic inhibitor to the city of Louisville, too crime rate here in Louisville and uh, public safety as a, as a focus. Public safety is second pillar of our campaign. We have to invest in men and women in law enforcement in word and in deed. Uh, we, we need to fund them, but we also need to make sure that they know that we've got their back. State police accordingly, and state police are 300 folks light. Uh, Louisville Metro, I think, is 250 people light, and you're not going to get there. It's kind of like I said about teachers. If you demonize them on one hand and then you try to give them a raise, it, it's not congruent message. And so they need to know we've got their back always. Uh, we also have to have substantive talks uh, about mental health and then how we're going to address that. We can't wait until the crime's committed to talk about mental health. And, um, you know, we're talking about that, and we're going to roll out some, some interesting stuff. In the, in the coming days there as well. Kevin Grout. You're elected governor. Congratulations. First day in office, what's one thing you do? Uh, I'm going to meet with leadership in the General Assembly, and we're going to tackle this workforce crisis. You know, how do we need to get to the folks in Washington to help us get a waiver or whatever it is uh, on some of these federal benefits, but Purdue sliding scale benefit reform. Uh, we've got powerful folks in Washington from Kentucky. That has to be a conversation. It'll transform our economy. You get elected governor, and the General Assembly passes a law that says you can only watch one movie for the rest of your life. <laughs> Which movie are you picking? Oh, movie. West Wing would have been the show, no no question. Movie? Golly. Bad Boys 2. <laughs> <laughs> the most unexpected answer we've ever gotten. That's right. That's right. On the, uh, on the, and by the way, I have to ask, on the baseball management stuff, did you did you start out with a favorite team? Were you targeting certain teams or just certain players? Do you have a favorite team? <laughs> That's been so hard on me. Gosh, you're, you, I, you know, I feel like I was gaining some ground, and once I tell you, you're not going to like me ever again. <laughs> yeah, I'm a Cubs fan. Oh, uh, I knew you were going to say that. Well, and growing Joe, up, go ahead, just grab it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just say this as a baseball fan: I'm as glad for anyone to be a baseball yeah. fan. I think yeah. it's fine. Growing up, You've really lowered you your had TBS, <laughs> WGN, or you were a default Reds fan where yeah. I was from. Yeah. And I I grew up watching uh, Andre Dawson, Ryan Sandberg, Mark Grace. Oh. On WGN. I mean, in, in West Kentucky, same, except I was in the zone of My dad's of, diehard Cardinals fan. In fact, my grandmother used to take the bus. Great-grandmother. Uh, great you said you weren't going to pander, but yet, <laughs> there you go. It's and a I, fact. And I, and I, I, heard I, Reds. I appreciate it. It's a it. fact. <laughs> I've heard Reds, Cubs, Braves, Cardinals. I'm just giving you my story. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I said Cubs. Now I root for whoever I have a client for. That, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's the answer. All right. Well, we're going to wrap up Flower Country with Scott Jennings by asking Alan Keck, Mayor of Somerset, small businessman and candidate for governor 
Give us your pitch. Why should you be the governor of Kentucky? I have a history of getting things done. If the folks in Kentucky want somebody that can bring people together in a unique way and be a change agent, that's me. Uh, I'm not a career politician. I'm not just another politician, uh, somebody that's willing to tackle the tough problems and willing to do so hopefully with grace and respect for everybody. Uh, I'm also a guy that wants to, to make sure I serve and lead the entire state. Uh, I won't just represent people in my own party. It'll be all four and a half million Kentuckians. I think we'll do it at a high level. And if I'm governor, Kentucky will take a back seat to no state in the country. Alan Keck from Somerset, you've been a great guest. Thanks for joining us on Flyover Country. Yeah, thanks for having me. Been a treat. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab, coming to you from the heart of Middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Flyover Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Mm-hmm.